Has it ever occurred to you just how incredible grapes are? Now think about it. That little box of raisins your mother packed in your lunch bag was the only fruit that qualified as a dessert. And consider this. When we hear juicy gossip, we say we heard it through the grapevine. We didn't hear it through the apple tree or the berry bush. Grapes are so darn special that the grocery store expects us to snitch a few to ensure quality control. Try doing that with a banana or a pineapple. Admit it, every encounter you've ever had with grapes has been positive. That's why we created Grape Encounters, a place for adults to hang out and focus on the paramount achievement of grapedom. Delicious, irresistible wine. Wine brings people together. It starts conversations. It makes us happy. In fact, wherever there are grapes, there's gorgeous scenery, very cool people, and plenty of laughter. All that being said, let's bring out your guide for this journey. The Wizard of Wine, the Gangster of Grape, David Wilson. You know, I can say with absolute confidence that this last week was the biggest week of my life. There's just absolutely nothing that I can compare it to because everything, everything in my life changed in seven days. A week ago, a little over a week ago, I had a home and I had a wine bar business along with the radio program, of course. I had a car. I lived in California in wine country. And every single thing about my life, except for this radio program, has changed. I want to say it's all gone, but it's been replaced. Let's just say that. And, you know, I've been talking about this move to Italy for a long time, and I know that there have been some false starts, and you have to forgive me for that. It all has to do with COVID, really, because trying to relocate to a foreign country is very difficult under these circumstances. And the amount of paperwork that I've had to go through and the rings of fire that I've had to jump through to get to Italy and to be where I'm sitting right now is just unbelievable. I don't know how anybody does it, really. And, you know, just getting around in Europe and Italy especially if you just want to go into a restaurant, you have to present something called a green pass, but they don't actually issue green passes to people who are not part of the EU. So you can manage to get here, but good luck trying to convince the person at the front door of the restaurant that you've been vaccinated, even though you're showing them your American vaccination record. It's just like, it's madness, I'm telling you. And I think it's just because... Nobody's ever had to go through this before, and so everybody's confused. All that being said, I am very happy to be where I am right now. I'm in this town called Atri, A-T-R-I. It's named for the Emperor Hadrian from about 2,000 years ago. It's also uh, the namesake of the Adriatic Sea, which is quite lovely. And it's got a lot of history. And if you ask me why I'm here, the answer is a little bit fuzzy because I could have gone to a lot of different places in Italy, but I just wanted to go someplace that was really off the beaten path because I just think it's too easy to talk about places like Tuscany or tourist locations. And so I thought we'd do something different. Now, to kind of go back and trace the origin and the 
track that Grape Encounters has been on for the last 15 years, I was living in a place called Lake Arrowhead. You may be familiar with it in California, up in the mountains, a very idyllic alpine village. You know, a very wine-centric community. No, it really was. In fact, there was a grocery store, there is a grocery store there called Jensen's Finest Foods, and it has the largest selection of wine you've probably ever seen. Uh, So a lot of wine was consumed up there, and it's where I got the idea to create Grape Encounters. But, you know, there was a point there where I thought, gosh, I just, you know, I don't feel right doing Grape Encounters from a place that isn't really wine country. So what did I do? I moved to Palm Springs. (laughs) (laughs) because there's a wine country for you, right? Well, actually, a lot of wine is consumed in Palm Springs, and actually, I didn't move there for that reason. I moved to Palm Springs because I was offered the opportunity to do a daily talk show in the afternoon, 3 to 6 p.m., on a news station there that's quite popular, and live radio was very appealing to me. And by the way, the hardest thing that you can possibly do. It's just crazy difficult. And I admire anybody that does live radio because it really is a talent to be able to do that. But gosh, I hated talking about politics and news in general. It was so depressing. I'd get up at three o'clock in the morning and I'd do my research. By the time I was on the air, I was so depressed I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. So I did that for about four years. And then I really got serious about this idea of moving the program to real wine country. So we went to the central coast of California, which is a fabulous wine country with over 400 wine producers there. It's big time. And if you're not familiar with that Paso Robles region, then it's, you know, really worth looking into. But we've done a lot of shows there for a long time. And I was there for eight years and opened up a wine store, which I'm glad that I did because it gave me a lot of insight into wine consumers and what people like and what people know about wine. It was very, very educational for me, but I really had enough of it after eight years. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I did it. And I'm really happy to say that I have passed the torch on to a wonderful family called the Gedrins. They were customers of ours for a good long time, and they were so excited to take over the store, and they're completely redoing it, and it's looking great, and I'm not jealous, and I'm not protective about what we had there because things should evolve, and it is evolving very nicely, and they should be open in about a week, so check it out. They've just completely redone the place but it's going to remain Grape Encounters, but it'll be Grape Encounters Wine Bar. And they're going to try to, I think, carry on the spirit of what I tried to do there for a long time. So here's the thing. I know that I've been talking a lot about Italy, and you're probably tired of hearing about Italy. And I promise you that moving forward, we're just going to talk about the world of wine. But I felt for a really long time that I was too California-centric on wine. Now, granted, in the U.S., about 90 to 95% of the domestically produced wine that is consumed in America comes from California. So California is just a major, major player where wine is concerned. Uh, So it makes sense to talk about it a lot, but it's a big world out there. And I wanted to go to the place that is the biggest for a while, maybe indefinitely, but it's definitely Italy, definitely the biggest wine producer in the world. And I just thought it would add 
some real character to the show, a real backdrop, and we're going to do some crazy things, I'm telling you. But we're here now, and, you know, it's it's very complicated because just, you know, trying to get the equipment to work with all the different types of plugs that are here and even adapters to computers and things like that, they don't match up. It's all different, and it's been a real chore to make it all work. But we're here. The Eagle has landed. And so beginning today, we're just going to talk wine like we always have with a change of place and probably most definitely a a change of pace as well. And so I hope you enjoy what we're going to be doing with Grape Encounters because we are going to surround ourselves with experts from all over the world who are going to, you know, sort of be our our field reporters out there, and we're going to give you a much broader perspective of wine than we have ever given you before. So forgive me for all the false starts and trying to make this happen. It's been a long time coming. It's been a lot of work, but it's just wonderful to be here. And just a few things I might mention is that there's so many things that are different. And I'm going to share those differences both here in Italy and in Europe because we're going to travel this continent a lot for quite a while now and just share little things like the fact that when you walk down the street here in Italy, every single person will shout out something like ciao or buongiorno and they'll say it with passion and they'll mean it. And the coffee is completely different. And that's pretty cool. And it says a lot about how they consume other things in the same way that they consume wine. And then even things like breakfast. You know, if you want bacon and eggs, (laughs) you can forget about it. Because you're going to eat a small pastry and you're going to have a fantastic little coffee that is just like spit in the ocean to most Americans because we drink way more coffee. Or at least a bigger quantity cup of coffee than they do here in Italy. But Gosh, the coffee's delicious here. But, you know, it's just all different. And I'm hoping that my being here will offer some perspective on the rest of the world for you. And believe you me, when it comes to wine, we only see a tiny, tiny part of the picture. I should say we only taste a tiny part of the picture. So we're going to change that right here on Grape Encounters. I'll be back and we're going to talk about what's going on in the world of wine. And it will not be about Italy as we go forward today. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Grape Encounters with David Wilson. We offer something for everyone. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to offer free wine. That's what your friends are for. At MM Organics, we're surrounded by health nuts. That's because we're obsessed with lowering blood pressure, cholesterol, and the risk of cancer. We want to make weight loss easier and help you strengthen everything from your heart to your teeth, nails, and hair. Full disclosure, those health nuts are actually dry farmed heirloom certified organic raw walnuts. Rich with essential vitamins and nutrients, they're vastly superior to other nuts. Imagine, walnuts can actually lower stress and boost your brain power. No wonder MM Organics customers are so darn smart. MMOrganics.com is where you'll find our uniquely irresistible raw walnuts, walnut butter, oil and flour, sprouted flavored walnuts, and decadent fair trade chocolate covered walnuts, which pair beautifully with our legendary two-horse port style wine. MMOrganics.com 
eating any other nuts is just plain nuts. There is an awful lot to love about living in Italy, at least at this point in time. But there's one thing that I just cannot do. I am not going to do it. I am not hanging my underwear out in the courtyard. I'm just not going to do it. Not that there's, you know, anything weird about my underwear. I don't have little hearts on it or anything like that. But I just don't, you know what? I'm I'm old-fashioned. I don't want to show my underwear to anybody except maybe a few select people. But, you know, they hang their laundry out to dry. And it's really kind of weird because they've got really good washing machines here, but nobody buys dryers. They like to hang it out there. It's, a, I guess, a badge of honor to have your skivvies twisted in the breeze. Not me. I uh, figured out that uh, th- there are these radiators inside and then I could just put my unmentionables on the radiator. And as far as the other stuff is concerned, I, I have a clothesline inside. I'm just... I'll have to buy a dryer, but the place I'm living in came with the washing machine, which is pretty spiffy, actually. So anyway, you know, these little things you got to get used to, but what the heck, you know, it's a a different way of life, and you feel anew for doing this. Anyway, all right, uh, enough about that. I came across an article in uh, winesearcher.com, and it has to do with global warming and I've talked a lot about global warming and its impact on wine. And usually when we have this discussion, you know, the the angle is that global warming is a bad thing for wine and that a lot of grape growers are having issues and certain varietals just aren't doing well where they used to do very well. And so Varietals like Cabernet Sauvignon, they have to kind of move to higher ground where it's a little cooler. And as winesearcher.com accurately states that uh, in seven of the last 10 years, uh, we have seen an increase in average temperature by at least one degree Celsius. And that is actually very significant. I know there are the naysayers that go one degree. Yeah, big deal. What's the big deal? I'll wear a lighter t-shirt. Yeah, well, it is a big deal. And I'm not going to get into that part of it. But so we've talked a lot, as I said, about how this is a really scary thing for people who not only are growing grapes, but other crops as well. But here's the the twist. This uh, article by winesearcher.com makes it a different case. Uh, and what they suggest is that this extra warmth that we're having is actually resulting in better quality wines. And here's what they say. I'm quoting from Wine Searcher. They say, so what does all this mean for wine? Well, despite the increased incidence of extreme weather events, the quality of each vintage has improved steadily in the past 20 years. And then they go on to say, a look at our new vintage chart, and you can find that online at winesearcher.com, by the way, illustrates this nicely. The chart can be broken down by region and even by price bracket, and the vintages are rated according to the scores allocated to wines from those regions by the 40-odd wine critics whose scores we collect. These scores are then averaged out to give a vintage rating, basically a score for each vintage. And finally, they say, what's abundantly clear is that the ratings for each vintage are improving as we go deeper into the 21st century, 
and they are improving across all levels of wine, every quality category of wine, from everyday up to $40 bottles to super fine, more than $340 a bottle. Okay, that's a lot to read, but you get the point. They're, what they're saying is, is that, hey, there's a silver lining to global warming. And, you know, I just, I read that far. And I say I read that far because there's more to the article. And I started to steam. I mean, I literally started to see smoke coming out of my ears because I thought, come on, man, you aren't really going to try to make this argument, are you? And thankfully, as I read on, they at least proposed an, an alternative thought here that was what I was thinking the whole time. And that is, no, it isn't the weather. It isn't the temperature. It's that we get better at making wine every single year. Techniques change, evolve, and they constantly get better. And that, I think, is why the wines get better every year. It, you know, maybe a little extra heat helps, perhaps. But let's give our winemakers some credit here. And all of these people who do amazing research and come up with great ideas to just make wine better. Now, case in point, practically, uh, well, I should say, a majority of wines these days, certainly from California, come from vineyards that are now sustainable. And a good deal of the wine that you're drinking is organic. And some of it's biodynamic. And I won't get into the difference, but biodynamic, man, that's really strict stuff. Let's just say that. Now, if you go back 15 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, and you consumed organic wine, I frankly choked on this stuff. I just, it was awful. And when I first started Grape Encounters, I used to scream out, can anybody find me a decent bottle of organic wine? Because it was just, it was awful. You know, there were so few people making it and those who were, it just was, it was not up to snuff. And now, oddly enough, things have flipped. And the organic grapes are actually, in my opinion, better than the grapes that are being treated with all kinds of stuff. And that includes, of course, pesticides. So we've learned how to grow better fruit in more natural ways. And the end game is that we're making better wines. And it's taken hundreds of years for this to happen. But like you know, all technology is an example, you know, is growing faster and faster and faster. And our knowledge doubles, you know, in 10 years, and then it doubles in two years, and then it doubles in five seconds, right? And same is true for wine. There's a lot of research being done in a lot of places. And so I just think that uh, we, we would be very wrong to give global warming the credit for things being better because that really causes those naysayers to come out and go, ah, see, see, it ain't all that bad, right? In fact, it's pretty darn good, isn't it? And I'm not going to allow that to happen. <laughs> so let's, let's give credit where it probably is deserved. Uh, lots of uh, science, lots of great grape growers, lots of incredible winemakers who are just determined to improve their craft every single year. But anyway, if you want to read the article, it's, um, you know, the Wine Searcher does go on to say exactly what I've just said here, that, that maybe it's not the, the weather at all, uh, that maybe it's just that um, 
we're doing a better job at it. But they they do say this. Um, they say looking at the five warmest years on record, the 2016 vintage was rated 96, the 19 was rated 97, the 15 got a 96, while the 2017 and 2018 vintages were rated 95 and 97. The real takeaway here, folks, is gosh, wine is good now. It is so good. And if you've been drinking wine for a very long time, if you're more than 25 years old and you've been drinking wine for 20 years, let's say, or 30 years or 40 years, you know that what you poured in your glass in 1975, 1980, was pretty darn crummy compared to what we're drinking now. So anyway, keep that in mind and let's not give global warming the credit it doesn't deserve. Back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Smoke from increasing wildfires is tainting wine grapes and vineyard executives are looking for new ways to adapt. Pure Fresh Wine's O3 technology helps vineyards overcome the problems caused by wildfire smoke by treating grapes pre-crush to improve fermentation and overall wine quality as well as removing smoke taint. For the typical winery, saving a full harvest of grapes with Pure Fresh Wine costs only 10 cents per bottle. O3 technology has been approved by the FDA and USDA. It leaves no residue and uses no chemicals. It provides many benefits to wineries, including the removal of sulfur, pesticides, and fungicides pre-crush, the reduction of bad bacteria and mold issues, an improvement in roundness and fruit-forward palate notes, and so much more. Most importantly, it safely and naturally breaks down smoke taint molecules to save grapes from damage. Rescue your harvest from smoke taint. Visit purefreshwine.com today. When you discover a new favorite bottle of Chardonnay, sparkling wine, or artisan spirit at Total Wine & More, you'll discover a whole lot more. Like the friendly smile of an expert guide, ready to help you find that perfect bottle. And the confidence of knowing you just found something really special. Explore the wondrous selection and totally low prices at TotalWine.com, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. So, when I left the U.S. a week ago, I left behind some of my favorite appliances. Well, actually, I think I left behind all of my appliances because shipping stuff here to Italy is... <laughs> that's not a cheap thing to do. All of my stuff is in a shipping container on the central coast of California. And once I'm sure I'm settled in the right spot, then I probably will just have the shipping container put on a ship and I'll have all my stuff here. In the meantime, however, I left behind my Keurig coffee pot. Now, I will say this, that if you are a wine aficionado, the chances are good that you are also a coffee aficionado. And I love the fact that with the Keurig pot that you can, you know, get all kinds of different pods full of some pretty good quality coffee. But gosh, I hate the fact that all those little pods are not the easiest thing to recycle. So with no disrespect to Keurig, I'm going to say that one of the things that I am loving, la 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 loving here in Italy are the coffee makers and the coffee. The coffee here is just fantastic. I mentioned it earlier although they don't give you very much of it. We went to lunch earlier today, and it was interesting because they brought out coffee at the end of the meal, and the little 
cups are kind of thimble sized to begin with. And at the bottom of the cup was just what would be, you know, like an eyedropper full of coffee. And I could use a little bit more of that. But anyway, that's the way they do it here. The way that they make coffee here, though, is typically either in an espresso machine or they use something called the mocha pot, uh, which is um, a stovetop coffee maker, usually, or they also have electric ones that brew coffee by passing boiling water, which is pressurized in a chamber underneath, and the steam goes up through a little basket of ground coffee, and it makes the most delicious coffee. And the funny part about it is, is that you can do it super fast. And of course, we love the Keurig because you get up in the morning, like two minutes later, you have yourself a cup of coffee. Well, I want to tell you this. During the commercial break, I used my mocha pot to make a cup of coffee that is absolutely delicious. So you might want to look into them because they're really super cheap. And I tell you, of all the ways to make coffee, I think it's absolutely the best. It's named after the Yemeni city of Mocha. It was invented by an Italian engineer named Alfonso Bialetti in 1933, quickly became one of the staples of Italian culture. They use them all over Europe. And like I said, you can buy them cheap. Just a few dollars will get you one. But it is the preferred way to make coffee. Plus, they're pretty cool looking, too. So... Again, if you are a wine aficionado, you can really get into the coffee game. I bought this pre-ground coffee. It's a company called Illy, and I've seen it in the U.S., so if you go to a good grocery store, you can probably find it, and the quality is really exceptional. Anyway, I definitely owe a debt of gratitude to the folks at Keurig because they made for some very nice mornings for me, got me up when I otherwise uh, wouldn't have done very well on my own, but I do... I do have problems with those little K-cup pods, and that makes me think about a bigger problem than the K-cup, which is the plastic bottle. And you probably wonder, well, what does that have to do with wine? Well, there's a really interesting thing that's going on in Australia, and it has to do with a winemaker who is a former football star. He became a winemaker. His name is Richie Vandenberg. And he teamed up with this guy named Justin Moran. And I guess they brought the wine brand into the UK through a company called Kingsland Drinks. And they set up a really interesting program and achieved a major milestone by removing the equivalent of more than, get this, 10 million single-use plastic bottles from the ocean. Very cool. So the whole thing was a campaign in conjunction with UK retailers. And what they pledged that they would do was remove and recycle the equivalent of 10 single-use plastic bottles for every wine bottle that is sold. This according to Harper's UK. Harper says this, This environmental drive was undertaken in collaboration with Reese Project, a Danish organization committed to removing ocean waste plastic and recycling it, while also improving communities most directly affected by ocean waste and creating awareness about responsible waste handling. It currently operates in Southeast Asia, which is a major recipient of plastic waste from countries around the world, including the UK. Wow! That is so fantastic. And, you know, I don't know how many times I have gotten on the radio and talked to you about 
the good that is done around the world by people who are involved in wine. And we were talking about global warming a little bit earlier. So on top of all that, this project called the Hidden Sea entered into a licensing agreement with another company called Climate Active. And their goal is to achieve carbon neutral status for its range of wines for vintage year 2021 and onward. So anyway, very cool stuff that is going on in the UK. And I guess you put some football players together, and I think they're talking about soccer players for those of us in the U.S. You put them together with a little bit of wine, and you get some good stuff that comes out of it. You know, and one other thing about plastic bottles, you know, getting back to the difference between things in Italy and things in the U.S., one of the things that I noticed is the plastic bottles here, you know, while I'm just really dead set against them, and yet I'm a super hypocrite because I do use them. And so, I, you know, I, I got to get my act together for sure. But at least the Italians seem to have gotten their act together because the plastic that they use for these bottles is so wafer thin. It's just unbelievable. I mean, you, you hold the bottle in your hand and it just collapses in your hand. And yeah, granted, that's not, you know, it's not as enjoyable, I guess, an experience as having a, you know, thick plastic bottle. But on the other hand, it's great that they're using less plastic. And by the way, I filled a little plastic cup here up with water a couple of days ago and just holding it in my hand, the whole thing just collapsed. It squeezed together because they're probably using about three fifths less plastic for their plastic cups than we do. I mean, it's just insanity how much plastic we use. And don't get me talking about blister packs because those really, those really get under my skin. So I'm going to make a little segue here because, you know, you can imagine, you can only imagine that hundreds of years from now, even thousands of years from now, archaeologists of the future are going to be, you know, digging in the dirt and they're going to be finding all of these plastic bottles. And who knows what we will have replaced them with in the future. But they're going to look at these things and go, what the, you know? So it gets me thinking about the reason that I came here to Europe to begin with. It's because I became aware of a project called Venum Hadrianum. And I replayed an interview that I did, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, or at the beginning of COVID, with a fellow by the name of Piero Pavone. And this whole project began because archaeologists here in Europe have found just a gazillion of these giant amphora, or I think we call them amphorae. Anyway, they're huge. They hold way more than a barrel of wine. You know, some of these things are like six feet tall. And these have been used for literally like something close to 8,000 years, if you can believe that. And they find these pretty commonly, and they're in really good shape. And they buried them in the ground because by burying the amphora in the ground, it created, you know, great natural insulation. And so the wine could age in these, you know, terracotta pots. And it worked really super well. And again, this goes back to, well, the heyday of this was during the height of the Roman Empire, which is about 2,000 years ago. But there's something to be said about this in terms of winemaking today. So I'm going to 
take a little break here for just a couple of minutes. And when we come back, I want to talk about some of the trends in winemaking that will really surprise you. And we're going to just call this segment Beyond the Barrel. And I think it will really surprise you what winemakers are using to ferment age and store wine in these days. You know, we're so used to drinking wine that was made in oak barrels. And we're so obsessed with talking about the oak and the flavor that the oak contributes to the wines. But you can look at it a little differently, and I just would plant this idea in your head for a second, and that is this. But when we add oak to a wine, are we really tasting the grapes, or now are we tasting something that's been prostituted by another ingredient that doesn't taste anything like grapes? It's, you know, it's like kind of like putting salt and pepper on your, your food. Maybe you're not tasting as much of the food, you know, when you do that. So anyway, we'll get into a little philosophical thinking on that subject when we return with Grape Encounters Radio coming to you from Atri in the Abruzzo region of Italy. That is the eastern side of Italy, about midway down the boot, directly across from Rome. It's a great place to visit and you'll really want to stay. Something amazing happened to me the other day at Total Wine and More. I found my new favorite Cabernet Sauvignon at a totally low price. As soon as I picked it up, it felt like, aha, I knew it was the one. So go explore their wondrous selection and you'll feel it too. Because at Total Wine and More, you'll find what you love and love what you find. Download the Total Wine app or visit TotalWine.com. But please drink responsibly. Be 21. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And uh, here's a question for you. Do you think that you have a concrete idea about the latest trends in winemaking? Go ahead. Take all the time you want to answer that question. No, actually, I gave you a clue in the question. Because concrete right now seems to be all the rage in winemaking all over the United States. But really, it's uh, popping up all over the world. I was in Bordeaux a few years ago, and I toured a lot of wineries there. And in the wineries, instead of using these steel tanks that we're all pretty familiar with seeing at wineries, they're building tanks out of concrete. And it really is a takeoff on, I think, the amphoras that began some 8,000 years ago, which I mentioned earlier, became super popular 2,000 years ago, kind of disappeared off the face of the planet. Well, they didn't disappear. They just got buried in the dirt. And then in recent years, they're starting to reemerge. And right here in Italy, where I am, uh, I mentioned to you the folks that got me excited about coming here, Vinum 
Hadriana. And, you know, they worked with archaeologists, historians, and winemakers, of course, to try to understand how these amphoras were used. And they are made out of different kinds of clay, depending upon where you go. And the really interesting part about it is, is that each of the different types of clay affect the wine in different ways. And so you've got clay that is regional, and it imparts a certain quality to the wines in that region. So it's pretty super interesting. But eggs figure very prominently into this as well. And this is really the big rage that a lot of people are poo-pooing. But let me just explain it for a second. It turns out that not only were they making amphoras all those years ago, but they were making these kind of egg-shaped vessels. Really huge, giant eggs that no Easter bunny could possibly lay. And there's all of this scientific speculation about how these things work, how they create inversions like we have in weather systems. And I'm not even going to attempt to explain it because I really, honestly, I don't understand it. And apparently, an awful lot of people in the wine industry don't understand it either because there's a lot of debate about this and these eggs are incredibly expensive. They're getting more and more popular. You see them sitting in a lot of wineries these days and some winemakers just look at it and go, absolutely not. I'm not interested in even going down that road. Now, amphoras, it's a little bit different and there's a lot of good qualities where the amphoras are concerned. You will walk into wineries these days and you'll see the amphoras, you know, sitting on a concrete slab and standing as much as six feet tall. Some of them are a little lower. They've got a wide opening at the top, and then they make a lid for that that seals very tightly. And it's got some sort of silicon that goes around the lid. So it seals really super tightly so that the air can't get in. But what it's all about is the exchange of the air with the wine that goes through the clay material. And apparently it's just darn near perfect. One of the things that I mentioned in the last segment is the fact that I think we've become very dependent almost on oak. And we we wouldn't even think about drinking red wine unless it was oaked, right? And everybody wants to know how much oak was used and what kind of oak was it and how many times had the barrel been used and and so on. And I just kind of want to point you to the direction of Chardonnays for a second and make an argument for getting you to try some wines that were not aged in oak, but rather aged either in steel tanks, concrete eggs, concrete tanks, or clay amphoras. Because remember how things got so weird with Chardonnay, where they started to use more and more and more oak until it was like you were chewing on a a branch. And some well-meaning winemakers finally threw their hands up in the air and said, no, wait a second. The best Chardonnays that were ever made were made without the use of oak. And so we went from one extreme to the other. This really heavy oaking of the Chardonnays all the way over to Chardonnays that had no oak. And some people felt that that was just going a bit too far. And so we started making Chardonnays that were somewhere in between. So we have basically, I always say, three different Chardonnays. We've got the heavy, buttery Chardonnays. We've got the moderate Chardonnays. And we've got the unoaked Chardonnays, which I frankly prefer. They're just absolutely beautiful. And once you try them, I think you probably won't want to go back to what you were drinking if it was a Chardonnay that was modestly or heavily oaked. But you know, if it works for Chardonnay, why wouldn't 
wouldn't it work for red wines as well? What I will tell you about the wines that I'm tasting that are aged in clay or aged in concrete is that you really don't miss the wood. As a matter of fact, the inherent flavors of the grapes, to me, taste much more potent. And you can actually taste the grapes, and it's not obscured by another ingredient. Anywho how, as my mother used to say, we get our panties in a wad when winemakers add all kinds of extracts, whether it's liquid oak or sugar or grape juice concentrates, all kinds of things that they add to wine. By the way, you can add more than 200 different things legally in the United States, and I imagine in other places as well, and you don't even have to disclose it. Yet, if you buy a pre-prepared dinner at your local grocery store or Trader Joe's or Aldi's or whatever, they have to disclose every last ingredient. So I'll simply say this. I think it's about time that we get back to basics and here and there try to remind ourselves of what grapes actually taste like and get a taste of wines that are being made in all of these very interesting ways. I'll leave you with this thought that, you know, wine is a very ancient thing. It goes back literally tens of thousands of years. And we are, in many ways, reverting back to old ways of doing things. But the real truth is that every glass of wine you drink, for the most part, has got a lot of research and science behind it. So try not to think about it. Because if you do, I think a lot of the romance will spill right out of your glass. So, so goes our first true broadcast from the Abruzzo region in Italy. And I say true broadcast because we're doing it from our own studio, albeit a studio plagued with all kinds of technical problems right at the moment. But I can see that we managed all the way through the hour without having a major collapse. So we'll work some of the bugs out over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully you didn't hear any of them today. And please, please, double please, friend me on Facebook. Or join the Grape Encounters group page on Facebook. You can just put Grape Encounters David to find me personally or Grape Encounters group page you can search for because I'm going to be posting a whole lot of really cool stuff on there. And so if you haven't joined in the past because, heck, you just didn't feel like it, try doing it now. We're going to have a lot of fun together right here on Grape Encounters Radio. I'm David Wilson saying goodbye for this week. Buongiorno. We'll see you next week. Are you following Grape Encounters on social media yet? You're not? Well, you should be. It's the best way to hear the latest, juiciest, unfiltered wine stories. It's also the single best way to keep our unpretentious, decidedly different wine conversations going strong. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Grape Encounters. For tons of content on Facebook, you'll want to join our Grape Encounters radio group page. Or if LinkedIn is more your thing, connect with me by typing Grape Encounters Radio or Grape Encounters David in the search bar. Here's the deal. The more you click, the more I'll pour.